0: Forest Park happy Easter to you happy Easter everybody watching online whether you're at home driving down the road jogging down the street or eating brunch it doesn't really matter we're glad you are with us whether you're here or there hey before we jump into our message today called Revolution I want to go over why we do what we do at Forest Park why do we gather on Sundays why do we have groups why do we have outreach why do we do everything it's our mission statement of Forest Park it's pretty simple And profound. We are here to help people follow Jesus one step at a time. That's what it's about. We want to come alongside you and help you take your next step, whatever that looks like. And everybody's next step is a little bit different. So, our goal at Forest Park is to come alongside and help you. And we know it's a process. We get involved and just assist you as you continue to follow Christ. That's our goal. All right, let's jump into today's message, Easter message called Revolution. Frank Sinatra released a song in 1964 called Here's to the Losers. Some of you are old enough to remember that song. The song is basically a toast to all the unlucky ones, those who can't find love, those who are lonely, least last little. Sinatra croons in the song, Here's to the Losers, bless them all. It's a perfect opening to this message because today... I am letting you in on a secret, a secret that a lot of people do not know who've attended church for many years, a secret that has taken me a long time to uncover. And it's not something that I uncovered and therefore it's a secret because I discovered it. It's just that in years of following Christ and in years of reading scripture and talking to people much smarter than me and listening uh, to what I believe is God's spirit in my own life and my own failures and my own you know, attempting to get up and stumble toward Jesus. This is a secret that I've kind of realized in my life. And here it is. It's going to come across somewhat sideways when I first say it. A little bit difficult for a few of us in the room and a few of us online to actually grasp, but I'm going to do my best to unpack this for you today. Here it is Jesus really doesn't have a lot of use for winners. Don't tell the winners I said that, okay? But it's true, he doesn't. Now, it's not Jesus doesn't love winners, he does. It, It isn't that our society doesn't benefit from winners, because it does, and I don't mean there is no place for winners, there certainly is. But his kingdom operates in such a way it only works with and uses losers. Now, when I say losers, I'm not talking about a person's value. I don't mean a person is a loser because he or she is worthless. I mean the way people judge others, the decisions people make, the behaviors of other people. There are some of you right here in this room. There are some watching online. You know what? You've made some decisions in your life, and people have regulated you to the loser category. Maybe your marriage has fallen apart, maybe you got remarried and it fell apart, maybe you've lost a few jobs, maybe you continue to battle an addiction, maybe you just have a very difficult time with faith, maybe you have walked away from Christianity, walked away from religion, and some people in your life just look at you and say, now there goes a loser. People who've made unwise decisions, poor choices, whose life did not turn out the way they thought it would, those people... As hard as it is for some of us to wrap our mind around, those people are for whom the kingdom of Jesus is designed. In fact, Jesus is so committed to losers, he started a revolution for losers. His entire kingdom is built on those who do not look and who do not live as if they will ever accomplish too much. In fact, Jesus left the keys to his kingdom, His plans, his dreams, his vision, his assignments, all of it in the hands of the bottom half of society, not the top half. When you get a chance to read the entire Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, do so. It is the manifesto, if you, if you will, of Jesus' kingdom. It kind of lays out what the kingdom of Christ is all about. At the very beginning of his sermon, in Matthew 5, 3-10, he outlines what we come to know, or we've called, called the Beatitudes. But really, they're just kind of the, the beginning of his message lays out what his kingdom is about, who his kingdom is. Uh, rests on what his platform is and here's what it says this is kind of a synopsis of those verses blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are those who mourn blessed are the meek blessed are those who are persecuted not not blessed are the confident or the wealthy or the powerful or those who retire early, or those who are good-looking or popular or are TikTok famous. No, 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 but blessed are those who are ignored. Blessed are those who are laughed at. Blessed are those who are made the brunt of other people's jokes. Blessed are the struggling single moms who have no idea how they're going to pay next month's rent. Blessed are the young men who can't seem to get a date. Blessed... Are those who are politically oppressed. Blessed are those who've been kicked out of church. Blessed are those who fail background checks and whose drug tests comes back positive. Jesus is saying, "Here's are all the losers. Bless them all." Like I know it's difficult to wrap our minds around this, but Jesus began a revolution for losers, a revolution for sinners not saints. And that should encourage some of us in this room. That should encourage some of us at home. That's who his revolution is for and that's who his revolution or what his revolution is about. And here's the deal. This revolution, for those who are on the outside looking in, those who are easy to forget, ignore, step on, and step over, antagonizes the winner's among us. In fact, as I have begun this message and started to talk through this whole concept and beginning to lay it out, some of you are a little nervous. Some of you are kind of pushing back, going, I don't know about this deal about celebrating losers. I don't know how I feel about his, his kingdom resting on the shoulders of those who uh, don't amount to much. It antagonizes the winners among us, annoys the good people gathered, those too good to come to church. It, it aggravates the moralists. It angers the saints. Why is that? Because there is something inside us that we like drawing markers. We like erecting fences between people. We like to know who's in and who's out. We enjoy standards only the elite can meet. If we had a little card, we'd like to pull it out and watch someone's life and go, okay, well, she's out. And then we look at somebody else and go, oh, wow, he's in. We like that. We enjoy putting people in certain categories. They are going to make it, they're not going to make it. They're blessed of God, they're not blessed of God. We like the striving, the strain, the struggling. We, we like a firm distinction between us and them, between those who do right and those who ignore right, between those who try and those who quit, between the men and women who win in life and the men and women who lose. We don't like losers, come on, let's just be honest. We don't respect those who come in last, especially in our culture. No, 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 we, we, we reward the winners. We celebrate the victors. We vote for them. We emulate them. We pay ridiculous amounts of money to them. We like the top half. We envy the top half. We wanna be in the top half. We invite the top half. We dream of living like the top half. And then Jesus comes along and launches a revolution for the bottom half. And we don't like it. We don't get it. In fact, we don't even know what to do with it. Let me show you what I mean so you won't leave here today thinking that I'm just crazy and coming up with all these ideas on my own. Luke chapter 14. Fascinating exchange between Jesus and the religious top half of his day. Now, by the time this exchange is over, that I'm going to slowly walk you through, you're going to see that Jesus powerfully shatters the illusion that his kingdom is for good people. And you're going to see, he firmly establishes his kingdom is built on and for losers. And you're going to walk out of here today, or you're going to turn your computer off when I'm finished, or you're going to put down your phone when you're done with this message, and you're either going to love it, and you're going to feel excited, or you're going to be angry. Let's walk through it. Luke 14, beginning at verse 1. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to share a meal in the home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees. Now, stop right there before you go any further. The man who invited Jesus to his house for dinner was not an ordinary run of the mill religious leader. He was a leader of the Pharisees. And if you know anything about Jewish culture, then you know that the Pharisees were the religious professionals of the day, they were the scholars the professors, the teachers. And this man, he was a leader of the professionals. So basically, he was a scholar among scholars. He was a professional among the professionals. He was the professor to the professors. He was the elite of the elite. It was a big deal. Jesus was in his home. So let's set the tone, okay? One Sabbath, when he went to share a meal in the home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees, They were watching him closely. This sets the tone right there. This lets you know they didn't like Jesus very much. They were suspicious. They did not relax in the presence of Jesus. They didn't, you know, just kind of sit back and enjoy a meal with Jesus. They listened to every word he said. They watched him very carefully, very closely. You know why? Because they were suspicious of him. They were cynical. They were waiting for Jesus to mess up, to do something so they could accuse him of being a false teacher. Now, in the middle of this posh party... Right in the middle of the roast beef and creamed broccoli and, you know, and all the trappings that come with a beautiful meal, it says that there was a man suffering from an abdominal or abnormal swelling of his body. Right in the middle of this party, there's this man who has this condition commonly known as dropsy. Dropsy was a condition where it left this man grossly unattractive. His face swollen, feet swollen, hands swollen, eyes swollen, very disfigured. He was suffering greatly and he was regulated in that society to the sidelines. In fact, within their culture, there was a common belief that someone like this man, suffering from this kind of condition, may have sinned to cause this kind of condition to come upon him. And if he didn't sin, then more than likely his parents sinned, and he's paying for the sins of his parents. So picture this in your mind. Jesus is sitting at this meal, a very beautiful meal, set up by a leader of the professionals in his community. And there's this man with dropsy, a very disfigured man, makes his way into this party, and Jesus asks a question. Does the law allow healing on the Sabbath or not? Now, why did Jesus ask this? This concern is not about whether it's okay to heal the man. Jesus is not asking, is it okay to heal the man? Because if Jesus wants to heal the man, he'll heal the man. If God wants the man to be healed, God will make the man healed. That's not it. The concern is whether the religious leaders... The people sitting around the table believe God would heal the man on the Sabbath. That was the question. Again, Jewish religious culture, observing the Sabbath uh, was a sign of a covenant. Exodus 31, 13, it was similar to the Jewish culture wearing a wedding ring that was a sign of the covenant of marriage between them and God. When you celebrated the Sabbath, you basically were saying, we are in a relationship, a covenant relationship, and when I honor the Sabbath, it's like, almost like I'm renewing my vows week by week by week. So when you don't honor the Sabbath, it would be like a man or a woman taking off his or her wedding ring and discarding it and saying, I'm not worried about the vows, I'll do whatever I want to do. So refusing to honor the Sabbath showed contempt for the entire covenant. It was a big deal not to honor the Sabbath within the Jewish culture. So Jesus is sitting at this very elaborate dinner hosted by one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath, and a man who has this very disfigured body enters into this dinner, and Jesus asks the leaders if it's okay to heal him on the Sabbath, So basically, he's forcing these professionals to choose between honoring the Sabbath in their traditional way and healing the man with dropsy. In essence, Jesus is asking them, so what do you guys want to do? Do you want to honor the Sabbath and ignore this man's horrible condition? Or do you want me to heal this man and in so doing, dishonor your tradition? Now, I know that it was tense because of the very next line. The very next line says, but they said nothing. You see, they were caught between a rock and a hard place. They didn't know what to say. They weren't sure how to help this man and honor the Sabbath at the same time. They had no answers, or at least they didn't want to attempt to answer. So what does Jesus do? Jesus took hold of the sick man, cured him, and let him go. He doesn't wait for their response. He just does it right in the middle. And you've got to imagine this. You've got to see this. We read over these stories so quickly, we miss the tension of the story. It would be very similar to going to a very expensive restaurant and a prime rib is on your table with a beautiful glass of wine and salad and bread and everyone is dressed so nicely and someone sitting beside you has some kind of oozing sore on their foot. And you say, is something wrong with your foot? And they're like, yes, I've had this condition for a long time. Well, let me see. And pulls their foot up on the table and begins to treat it right there in the middle of the dinner. That's how they saw the man with dropsy. Right in the middle of this elaborate dinner. After he heals him, they all just sit there quietly because Jesus has been uncouth he's been rude he has not honored their tradition he has in essence taken off the wedding ring laid it down and said i'm going to do what i want to do so jesus breaks the silence and says suppose your child or ox fell into a ditch on the sabbath day would not you immediately pull him out this was a slash to the heart Because there was not one of these religious people sitting around that table who would have not tossed tradition and honor and religious expectations to the side in order to save their son or even an ox. So Jesus is pointing out, so what you're telling me, boys, is that you would step over the Sabbath rule in order to save your family, but not this man's family. You would compromise your commitment to the Sabbath to pull an animal out of the ditch, but you won't take this man and pull him out of a disease. But they had no response. Sometimes silence is so loud, it's deafening. So Jesus looks around the room, he surveys the table. He sees all the different people sitting in all these different places, and you've got to understand that in Jesus' day, the seating arrangements uh, at a dinner showed a genuine pecking order. You know what a pecking order is? The most honored person sat in this particular seat, the second most honored person sat in this seat, the third most honored person sat in this seat, all the way down until you were just kind of not that important, but you were at least important enough to invite to the party. And then there are hundreds, if not thousands of other people who weren't even important enough to invite to the party. So when the religious leader invited his friends and all the people from his church to come to a party, then he put the most important person, kind of like the, the head usher or the head deacon, sat here. The Sunday school teachers sat here. The pastor's family sat here. And all the important people sat around the table. And then there was all these other people that weren't important enough to even be an invited. And Jesus pays attention to all the different people and where they are seated, And if you didn't think it was hot before in that room, Jesus reaches down and turns the heat up more. And he says, when someone invites you to a wedding celebration, kind of like this, don't, don't take your seat in the place of honor. Someone more highly regarded than you could come and could have been invited by your host the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give your seat to this other person. And embarrassed, you will take your seat in the least important place. In other words, hey, 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 religious leaders, hey, Sunday school teachers and deacons, hey, pastors, hey, community group leaders, hey, all of you religious folks, all the professionals, the scholars, don't assume you are more important. Than other people in the room L- let me make it more specific let me let me make it more real let me let me let me take it and kind of put it on your lap okay uh, stop assuming because you haven't been divorced that you are better than those who've been married three times stop assuming because you were raised in a Christian home you know scripture better or you are closer to God and you're the kind of person God is looking for just stop Stop assuming God is on your side and he's not on the side of the other people. Just stop. Stop assuming you are a good, moral, upright, loving, and fair person. Just stop with the assumptions. Stop assuming you aren't racist or arrogant or prideful. Stop with all the assumptions. When you walk into an environment, do not look around the room and categorize yourself as being more important than other people because of the way she's dressed or the way he behaves or I saw his Facebook post or I know that she was raised like that. Stop all that stuff. Well, what are we supposed to do? Well, instead, when you receive an invitation, go and sit in the least important place. Hey, have you ever tried this? Assume you're not the best in the room. Uh, Try this. Assume that maybe other people are closer to God than you. Hey, maybe assume other people are stronger, better, know Scripture more than you. Just, Just try it. Just, just try to humble yourself and not place yourself up in the most important position because you know what might happen? Then maybe your host will approach you and he will say, Hey, friend, I'm up here to a better seat. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. Because you see, in God's kingdom, which is upside down, all who lift themselves up will be brought low and those who make themselves low will be lifted up. Do you feel the revolution? I do. You see, God's kingdom is filled with people who assume others are better and more deserving. Now listen, before you go off and think that what I'm saying is that we need to lower everybody's self-esteem and make everybody feel badly about themselves or, or whatever before anybody kind of draws that conclusion and think that I'm somehow saying that those who do no good, they're the best people of the world, and those who do great are, are not so good, and I'm somehow handing out trophies to all the people who don't even try. But that that's not what God's kingdom is about. God's kingdom is not about lowering you to the level where you are worthless. God's kingdom is about elevating others to the level where they are worthy. There's a big difference. Do you see that? Do you feel that? And Jesus continues. Then Jesus said to the person who had invited him When you host a lunch or dinner, don't invite your friends. Your brothers and sisters your relatives or rich neighbors if you do they will invite you in return and that will be your reward what are we supposed to do in your kingdom instead when you give a banquet invite the poor crippled lame and blind can you imagine the tension his host and all the people in the room did nothing that Jesus just said to do. They did it all the opposite way. They threw a party and invited all their rich religious people, and they set them in all the, the right order, and they, they highlighted those who were the professionals, and they didn't even want the man with dropsy in the room. Jesus has just overturned their apple cart. He has just flipped every single thing upside down. Is it any wonder they crucified him? Let me, let me tell you how this would sound in our world, okay? Hi, Scott. Yes, sir. Jesus. When you throw a dinner at your church, or when you have a revival, or when you preach an Easter message, you know, on Easter we got to be all cleaned up and proper. When you do that, don't invite all the upstanding wealthy Christians. You know, the ones who tithe and invite other upstanding wealthy Christians. Don't do that. Instead, Invite the poor. Invite those who are unemployed. Those who cheat the system. What? Yes. Those who are sick. Those who want something for nothing. The refugees. Your Muslim neighbors. The illegal immigrants of your community. Fill our church up with them. Invite invite the people the, the church considers the least, the last, the lost, the losers. Invite them. In fact, throw a party for them. If you do... You will be blessed because they can't repay you instead you will be paid when the just are resurrected Easter resurrection new life a different kind of life an upside-down life do you feel the revolution Scott what in the world does this have to do with Easter everything 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 l- l- let me just let me just throw one thing. I don't have time to unpack all of this. I just want to give this to you in, in passing and then maybe we'll come back and visit it another time. I want you to see how Jesus was so eloquent. He was so he was so incredibly intelligent and so beautiful in his poetic way of saying things that he could bury the gospel within a story. And if you're not perceptive, I mean perceptive, if your eyes aren't open, if the eyes of your heart are not open, if you're not enlightened, you'll miss the gospel embedded within a story. And you think it's just a story and it's not a story at all all it's the gospel unveiled right in front of us and we don't see it let's go back to verse um, verse 10 just jump right back to verse 10 watch this when jesus said there here's the gospel right there instead when you receive i already read this to you so we're just going back when you receive an invitation go and sit in the least important place death and when your host approaches you jesus you will, he will. He will say, friend, move up to a better seat, resurrection. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests, life eternal, the body of Christ. He's so eloquent. He just packs it in. You know how you should live? I'll tell you how you should live. You should die in order to live. You should be buried in order to be raised. You should let Jesus elevate you rather than you elevating yourself, then and only then will you live life eternal. This is all about a revolution for losers. The bottom half and all the losing bottom half people should say amen. But we don't want to do that, do we? Because it will mean we admit we're losers. I know, I know, I know. When one of the dinner guests heard Jesus' remarks, he said to Jesus, happy are those who will feast in God's kingdom. Now, we miss the tension of this discussion because there's so much awkward silence here. This man doesn't know what to say, so he just kind of breaks the awkward silence of the moment with a flippant statement. He's basically kind of dismissing what Jesus said and kind of says, well, I don't know about all this stuff about inviting the poor, the lame, the blind. I don't know how all that works, but happy are those who feast in God's kingdom. I'm just so glad God will take care of it in the end. And Jesus looks at him with disappointment and continues with another parable. Can I give you another parable real quick? I won't spend much time on it. I just want to read it to you because I want you to feel it. This is all the same discussion sitting around that table. Watch what he says. A certain man hosted a large dinner and invited many people. When it was time for the dinner to begin, he sent his servant to tell the invited guests, Come, the dinner is now ready. And one by one, they all began to make excuses. Now, the details of the excuses are not important for this message. What's important to note is that these privileged, wealthy, respected, upstanding, moral, healthy people who were invited to the dinner made excuses. You know why? So they didn't have to rub shoulders with the despised and rejected outcasts of their own community. So when the master returned... The servant reported these excuses to his master, and the master of the house became angry. Do you feel the revolution? And he said to his servant, Go quickly, make haste, go into the city streets, the busy ones and the side streets, and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. It's a revolution, a revolution for the losers, the bottom half. We don't feel it because we read over it so quickly. The poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, these are the people nobody invited to banquets, and this master is inviting them all. These are the rejects of society. He wants them around his table. The cursed, the outsiders, the one many had concluded had sinned and brought on oh, poverty and physical challenges, and Jesus is saying the master God when he invites them, he invites all of those people. Verse 22. The servant said, Master, your instructions have been followed, and there's still room. And the master said to his servant, Go. Go to the highways and the back alleys and urge people to come in so that my house will be full. Go beyond where you are comfortable and bring in the people whose presence offends the religious, upstanding, and moral people. Hurry, go, go, go. Get them all. Bring them in. Because God wants his house full and the only way to fill his house is through radical inclusion, a curse word to a lot of churches because they are so afraid the wrong one's going to slip through. And Jesus ends the parable with a chilling comment. I tell you, not one of those who are those, the upright, standing, moral, goody, people, not one of those who were at first invited will ever taste my dinner. Oh, there is exclusion in God's kingdom, but it's not the people you think. (laughs) The people excluded are the ones people label as good. And the ones who are included are the people others label as bad. I know it's crazy. It's inverted, isn't it? It's upside down. It's inside out. It's a revolution, not for winners, but for losers. Listen very carefully, okay? And we're going to close. We're going to close. When Jesus died, no one thought he won. We know the story, but they didn't know how it was all going to end. They did not think they won. They thought he lost. When his family and disciples pulled him off the cross and wrapped him in in linen and placed him in the tomb, they were the biggest losers the world had ever known. He was a failed Messiah. He preached life, now he's dead. He promised freedom, now he's bound in grave clothes. He said he was the light of the world, now he is sealed in a dark tomb. He was covered in the alabaster box of expensive perfume, now he will soon smell of a rotting corpse. He lost His disciples were losers. They cowered in fear, and they didn't know what to do. Thomas doubted him. Peter denied him. Judas betrayed him. They all deserted him. But that is what his kingdom is all about. It's filled with doubters, deniers, betrayers, and deserters. It's a revolution for the bottom half. It's a revolution for the losers. It's upside down. It's inverted. I close with a quote. Dr. Giles Fraser, I was reading this last week, and I thought, this is so beautiful. He says, when he, Jesus, when he was nothing but a suspended carcass dripping with his own blood and other people's spit... There were no worshipers around clapping their hands and singing hymns. They were long gone. At the very end, ironically, at the moment of the greatest triumph, he had no followers left. He says that says something profoundly counterintuitive about what a successful church looks like. Success and failure are inverted. The first will be last. The rich cast down the poor exalted, the true king is crowned with mockery and thorns, not with gold and ermine. And I love this line. Christianity, properly understood, is a religion of losers. Wow. Dark, deserted, dead, he laid. But on Sunday morning, As the sun crested over the horizon and the women approached the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus, the ground shook. The stone moved, light devoured darkness, life swallowed death, Jesus walked out. Easter is for losers. You, me, us. And I, for one, am so thrilled to be a loser. For I belong to a kingdom and to a king where those who lose ultimately win and those who die live forever. All hail, King Jesus. Let's stand.
1: We're going to be praising the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We are thankful that he has risen from the grave. It was a moment when the lights went out. Death acclaimed its victory. Giving up his life, the darkest day in history there on across the made for sinners. every curse is blood at Every and breath and it was fitting in. At the end, we could have known, but the earth began to shake, and the veil was torn. A sacrifice was made as the heavens rolled.
0: to every loser in the room for a minute, okay? Maybe you've blown it. Maybe you've messed up your marriage. Maybe you've messed up your body. Maybe you messed up your job. Maybe you keep falling to addictions. Maybe you're here on Easter Sunday because you're just like, you know what? I'm just going to give it one more shot. One more shot. Those of you at home, maybe you're maybe you're sitting in your living room because you think That somehow a church won't accept you, that if you walk in the door, that God's going to strike you with lightning, or someone's going to point a finger at you and say, well, that person is not worth coming. I want you to listen to me very carefully. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how many times you've blown it. It doesn't matter how bad you feel about yourself or what sin you've committed. The Savior of the world took all of your sins, and he atoned for all of them. And you can go free you can walk free you don't have to earn it you don't have to strive for it you can just accept it i mean right now and see in his kingdom it's those who lose that win it's those who die that live it's those who kneel that can stand it goes for every person here every person there there's hope for you and i'm going to pray and then we're going to go But in this moment when I pray, eternity can shift for you. I'm not not here to scare you. I'm not here to threaten because I don't, and God, there's love and there's life and there's wholeness, and I just believe that he's big enough and strong enough that he's orchestrated the events to actually bring you here this morning just to know that you're loved and just to know that his revolution is for you. It's for the losers. There's hope. Let's pray. Father, we bring ourselves to you, all our sins, all our mistakes, all of our regrets, all of the embarrassing things, all the things that we've done that just messed up our lives. And here we are. And um, we're bringing our failures to you and we're asking you to cleanse and wash and make new. We can't do it on our own. It's impossible. We don't have the strength, the moral fortitude. We don't have enough do-overs in us. We've put so many lines in the sand and said, I'll never cross that line. And then we've done it. We've made commitments. We've made promises. We've broken all of those. So, Father, we're just giving up. And we're just coming to you. And we're just in our hearts kneeling. And we're just saying, here we are. Here we are. And, Father, you look us in the eye. And you say, I already know all about you. And I already know all the sins and I've already know all the mistakes and I already know everything you've done and I love you and I have forgiven you. Stand, you are not condemned. Walk, walk into a new life. Oh God, make that new, make that real in our hearts today. Transform the people sitting, standing in this room. Transform those who are sitting in their living room or their bedroom or their kitchen table Wherever they are right now, and they're listening to this message. God, transform them right where they are. Breathe life and hope and resurrection power into them. And make today be the day where new life begins. Call us out of our tombs. Call us out of the darkness. In Jesus' wonderful, mighty, incredibly powerful, forgiving, loving, merciful name we pray in his name. Happy Easter to you. Thanks for being here.